Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 15. We're in Chapter 4 of 1 John, and we're going to talk about the witness of the Spirit. You're kind of winding down 1 John here. Uh, we've probably got another four weeks in 1 John, and then we'll hit 2 John, which will take one lesson, and 3 John, which will take one lesson. But So we're going to talk today about the witness of the Spirit in your life. And remember now, what John is doing here is, is he's wanting to reiterate to you how you know you are saved, what are the evidence of salvation in your life, uh, and so he's going to talk about those things, especially today he's going to talk about some things that should be evident in your life to tell you whether or not you know Christ. So notice with me, first of all, as you look at this passage, we're looking at verses 12 through 16, we're going to notice, first of all, he's going to talk about the presence of God. Look with me at verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Okay, so let's talk first of all here. First of all, John stresses that no one has ever seen God. Off the fact, John is stressing here that no one has ever seen God. Period. Okay? Yeah, Danny, what was your question? He saw his backside, but nobody's ever seen him. When it talks about seeing someone, it's talking about seeing him face to face. Okay? Because notice now, it's a good thing you brought up Moses, because in Exodus, you notice I gave you a scripture passage there. In your, in your notes, Exodus 33:20. listen to what God himself said to Moses. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So the issue of seeing God means you see him face to face. Not seeing his backside, not seeing him like, for instance, John himself in the book of Revelation sees him sitting on the throne, but he didn't see him face to face. Do you understand? He said it was brilliance that he saw there. All right? So the reality is, is John stressing that no one has ever seen God. Now, why all of a sudden is he doing this in this passage here where he's talking about, you know, how do we know that we have fellowship with God? Well, I thought I would bring this point out to you. He may be refuting false teachers who claim to have seen God in dreams. What's going on, he's dealing with false teachers, remember, who are making their point, uh, their false points. And, and so he's wanting to refute this as he's going along here and making the point that, you know, you maybe got some dude there that's saying that in a dream he saw Jesus or he saw God. Excuse me, he saw God, not Jesus. And the reality is, is that John is saying, look, nobody has seen God. God can't be seen. You, you, you wouldn't live. Now, this brings up a point. We'll stop right here for a minute, and I, I want to bring up a side point here about the issue of dreams. You know, Scripture very clearly t- use, talks about that God is the one who controls dreams and so forth. So it's possible, okay, that dreams could be used by God in your life. However, on a credibility list, if we had a credibility uh, a status of credibility, what's credible and what's not credible and so forth. Dreams are kind of at the bottom. Visions are kind of at the bottom. Because when you talk about dreams and visions, 
You're talking about an area of your life that can be easily manipulated. What do you mean manipulated, George? Well, they can be easily manipulated in, in, by spirits. Do you understand what I'm saying? So really, at the, the thought, so if, if you come to me and say, well, I had a dream that I'm supposed to do this, blah, 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 whatever it is. I'm going to be more cautious with you. I'm, I'm not going to say, well, hey, brother, God spoke to you. Go ahead and do it. No, I'm not going to tell you that. What I am going to tell you is, is what does Scripture tell you? Scripture tells us that our foremost authority is what? God's Word. Now, there's another level under that. Anybody know what the other level under that is? The counsel of others, mature believers. And in a multitude of counsel is what Proverbs talks about. You know what I'm saying? So you go and you talk to mature spiritual people and, and talk to them and say, you know, this is what I'm saying. Dreams are kind of at the bottom of the list. Now, is it possible that God may speak to you? Too? Yeah, it's possible. I'm not going to take that away. We're not going to put God in a box here. Okay? But what I want you to do is you've got to be careful. And especially here, John wants to, I, I think he's talking about possibly the fact that there were these false teachers who were saying, you know, we saw God in a dream. No, you didn't see God in a dream. Okay? In fact, here, I want to remind you of something. Every time somebody sees a vision of God in the Old and New Testament, there is a common response. Anybody know what that common response is? Yeah, they fall on their face, I think John says, as dead, terrified. Because they've seen, like in, in the Old Testament, when they've seen the, the, the captain of the Lord of the hosts, you know, they, 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 they've seen the pre-incarnate Jesus, they were terrified at what they saw, and they were amazed that they were even still alive. Okay? So, this is what I'm trying to say to you. He may be trying to refute the fact here that there were some folks there who were saying they'd seen God in a vision. But let's go on. He's going to talk about the presence of God here. Our love for each other. So what he's going to say, how do you see God? Now, if we're not seeing him, we can't physically see him, because nobody can do that. How do we see him in our lives? How do we see God? Well, our love for each other reflects our relationship with God. How you know the presence of God in a place is by the love that we have towards each other. By the love that we have towards each other. That's how you're going to know. That's how you're going to know that God is in a place. is the fact that people care for each other and love each other in a church. Now, I've been in churches, you've been in churches, where you walked in, you didn't sense love, did you? Now, if anything, you sensed anger or resentment or jealousy. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? People weren't very caring at all. They were like... Rrr! You know, I mean, and their whole reason for being there is some other reason. I don't know why. Okay, maybe it's because status or something. I, I just, I mean, hey, let, let's stop for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Is it any wonder people stay home on Sunday morning and don't even want to go to church? I mean, if you walked into a place that was cold, I mean, even if it's hot in the building, it's frigid in there because of the temperature of the people. Why would you want to go? Let me sleep in. You know what I'm saying? 
They watch a John Wayne movie or something, you know? All right, so our love for each other reflects our relationship with God. Here's what else he says. Our love for each other expresses the completion of God's love in our lives. Here's how you know that God is doing a work in your life. And how. And here's how you know if he's bringing it to a place of maturity or completion or perfection. Some of your... Some of your your scriptures, some of your translations will use the word perfect, how it's perfected in you, okay? Here's how you know. The fact that you would love people in spite of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that you could come into a place and grow to love people in spite of them. Because that's not normal, is it? Because if we're, if we're talking about being normal out in the world, just think about the workplace, Think about somebody who's irritated you. Our natural tendency is to what? Write them off. Right? I mean, you mess with me, okay, shame on you. But you mess with me a second time, shame on me. I shouldn't have let you hurt me again, or I shouldn't have let you irritate me again. I shouldn't have let you do this to me again. That's the way the world operates, right? Did you know what I'm saying? I ain't got time for you. I ain't got time for this mess. Here's how you know that God's presence is in your life and in a church. It's the fact that you would love someone else in spite of them, in spite of yourself. That is reflecting the completion of God's love in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want to know how we, you, you know how to measure a church? You know, there have been books talking about how to measure a church, and they usually talk about how much, Basically, on two things: how, how many seats are filled in a, in, a, in a place, and what's the income level. Well, that's unbiblical. That's more business model than it is Bible. You want to know what the Bible's saying? Here's how you know: Is God's love being perfected in that church among people? And how you know is: Is do we love each other? Do we care for each other in spite of each other? Because here's the thing: Everybody understand. If you're in church, does everybody realize this? I've been in church now. I've been saved now. 28 years, think about this for a moment. Do we rub each other wrong? Is it possible somebody's going to do you wrong? Is it possible that somebody is, is going to, I mean, irritate you? Is it possible that you may, it may not even be them, you might come in here irritable? Like you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed? You know, it, it's like, it's Tuesday, and it's uh, goldenrod. There must be something wrong with their thermometer. I drove by, and it said 109 on Wednesday. Okay? And I'm like, really? Is it that hot? It can't be that hot. Okay? But here you are. You're at home, and your ceiling fan or your air conditioner quits. What kind of mood are you going to be in the next day? Okay? Now, here, here's my point. When, with that, and you come and you interact with people, Somebody's either going to rub you wrong or you're going to rub them wrong. We're going to be difficult to live with, right? Right? Here's how you know God's in a place. That even in spite of that, we can love each other. That's what he's talking about here. That's the presence of God in a place. So we've got to be asking ourselves questions like, you know, if we're, if we're going to look at Kerbinsville Christian Church and, and talk about who we are as a church, we've got to be talking about, is God's presence here? And how can we tell that? Our love for each other. 
in spite of ourselves. Our love for each other in spite of ourselves. In fact, he goes on now, and look at verse 13. Look at what he says in verse 13. He's going to talk about the assurance of the presence. The assurance, our assurance that we have. Look at what he says there, verse 13. By this we know we abide in him. Now, again, remember that word abide means remain. By this we know that we remain, or we find our, our life in. We, he's the source of our life, okay? By this do we know that we abide in him, and that he is in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Here's what he says. The presence of the spirit assures believers of their relationship with God. Here's how you know. Here's another. He's going to set this up for you. Here's how you can know. This is what we're talking about, the witness of the spirit. Here's how you can know that you belong to Jesus. That you are reconciled and accepted by God. Because I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm carrying my Bible. I'm going to church. I tithe. Is it because of all that? You know, I volunteer for everything, even the stuff I don't want to do. And God loves me and accepts me. No, it has nothing to do with any of that. Okay? Anything, I'll tell you. Some of that stuff will leave you empty and you'll wonder. Because that's not how God accepts you. Here's how you know. It's the witness of the Spirit in your life. It's the witness of God's Spirit in your life. Telling you that you're a child of His. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the witness of the Spirit of God within your heart. Here's another thing. I oftentimes will deal with people, and usually with younger Christians this is an issue because they'll struggle with their assurance of salvation. They'll struggle because they realize that they continue to sin. A lot of times we operate under this assumption that when we get saved we're supposed to become perfect. And so when they realize that they still sin, they still got some of the same attitudes that they got to work on, or or they still got some of the same habits they need to break, and 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 they're they're just doing wrong things. They really begin to wrestle with, do I know Jesus? Because they're feeling convicted in their heart. Do I really know Him? Am I really saved? And you'll a lot of times you'll hear talk to young immature Christians, and you'll hear things like this, especially depending on the church they go to. You'll hear things like, "Well, I got saved five times." You know, I, I went to the altar five times. I prayed, asked Jesus in my heart five times or ten times or twenty times. I mean, how many of you have heard that kind of thing before? Okay, we all have. All right, here, here's what I want you to understand. I tell folks like that, well, I, I think you're saved. <laughs> how do you know? Well, think about what's going on in your life. Think about why you're wrestling. Who is it that convicts you? The Spirit. See, the presence of the Spirit in your life is the one who tells you you're not right in this area. See, an immaturity says, well, I've got to get saved again. No, no. Maturity says, okay, I need to deal with that area. I need to deal with that issue. See, it's the presence of the Spirit. See, this is how I know I have a relationship with Him. This is how I know that he has a relationship with me. Because he gave me the Holy Spirit in my life to seal that relationship. Okay, let me just stop one because this brought up another good point. It's that assurance, the presence of the Spirit that gives me that assurance of that relationship. Here's the comfort of it. 
I am sure, unless you're unusual here, that every one of you has come to a place or maybe had a point in, in your journey where you just felt so alone. Maybe you had all, but you had all kinds of family and friends. You ever, you ever felt alone in a crowd? And, 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 and you just felt like, and it, but this kind of aloneness was, you felt, was God even there? Did he abandon you? Do you know what I'm saying? You wondered at his presence. That's your feelings. Because the reality is, he gave you his spirit. He's not taking it away. And that assures you of your relationship with him. Even though it may seem like, you hear people say, I feel like my prayers don't get above the ceiling. First of all, they don't need to get above the ceiling. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not praying towards heaven. God's everywhere. Holy Spirit lives within you. The presence of God, the presence, how I know I have a relationship with him is the presence of the Spirit in my life. Now, let's go on now. Look at verse 14. He's going to talk now about what our testimony says. Okay, look with me at verse 14 and 15. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Okay, first of all, John's going to make a point here that only he can make. John states that he has seen that the Father sent Jesus as the Savior. Why do you say he's the only one who can see it? Well, John was present at two specific events that you and I weren't present at. Number one, he was present because he was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was present when Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, what happened, folks? There was something spectacular to happen, although some who heard it thought it was just thundering. What did they, what, what was, what happened? I've got some people who should know their Bible a little bit. Yeah, the dove came on him, but God spoke from heaven. And what did God specifically say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay. There was another event that John was a part of that he was told not to share anything about until after the resurrection. And that was what? When Jesus went up on the mount and was what? Transfigured where he became what he was eternally in his all of his brilliance and so forth. And again, remember they were surrounded by a cloud, and John heard again, what did he hear? The voice of God affirming that this was who? His son. So John is saying to his readers, or he's saying to you and I, he's, he's stating that he has seen, and not only that, notice he put another word in there in the text, and believed. Because here's the thing, you could see and not believe. You realize that? You could see and not believe. But he has seen and believed that the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to be what? The Savior of the world. To be the Savior. Look at what else he says there. He's going to go on and he's going to talk about our confession. What does that reflect? Here's another way that you can know 
that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because remember, what we talked about earlier, back in chapter 2, he said that this is how you know that somebody is a false and antichrist, is the fact that they don't do this. Here's what he says. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God expresses our relationship with God. Look at what he says there, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Here is another way that you can know. is is the reality of your confession that Jesus Christ is God. That he's the Son of God. That he's God. That he's deity. The fact that you would confess that reveals something in your life. Because remember, he said in chapter 2 that the false teachers would what? Deny the deity of Jesus. He's just another human being. Just another teacher. Just some enlightened teacher or whatever. John is saying the test here for you and knowing that you have a relationship with him is that you have embraced him for who he is. God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus is God. That's how you can know. So it's, it's not just the presence but it's also the affirmation of who he is in your life. That's what he's saying. You can know. Because here's the thing. How do I know that? Well, Paul tells us in Corinthians that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except who gives him the power to do that. You know, the scripture. It's the Spirit. Remember now? The assurance of the presence of the Spirit. And right after that, John's saying it's our confession. What do you mean? Well, it's the Spirit who gives you the ability to say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Did you understand what I'm saying? So that's the reality there. So let's go on. He's going to go talk about one other thing here again. He's going to go back to the whole issue of love. Look with me in verse 16. Love is mentioned many times throughout this book. So again, look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Okay, so first of all, understanding love. John states that he knows and believes God's love for him. All right, let's stop for a moment. Here's what John's saying. John is saying that in his life, he understands and knows the depth of love that God has for him. And he understands it. Can you say that? You don't need to answer that out loud. Ask yourself that question. Do you truly comprehend God's love for you? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, probably no. Well, why do I say that, George? Why do, you, why do you say that? Why do you say that? Well, because I find when I interact with a lot of people, even if I think about my own life, it is so easy for us to forget why Jesus died for us. It is so easy for us to take that for granted. But then when you begin to realize how much he loved you, and you understand the depth of that love, what he went through because of that love. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, for instance, you know, the closest thing I could think of to help us to comprehend that is, Maybe you, maybe in your family or in, in, in your life, you had somebody who, you, it's like 
you you know they you just look at something. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a trophy. Maybe it's a house. Something material that represents that when you look at that, you remember that that was your mom and dad. They loved you. That was a friend. They loved you. That was a that was that was a spouse. They loved you. That was a parent. You, do you understand? And when you look at that, you remember and you grasp a hold of. When I look at this, I know that this person loved me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, maybe you have something in your life like that. This is what John is saying. He knows and believes God's love for him. You know what the ultimate thing that Jesus gave us to to express, to remember the love that he had for us? Anybody know what that is? The Lord's table. You know, usually when we come to communion, it's kind of like it becomes a formality. You know what I'm talking about? But in reality... What we're doing is we're remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We're remembering what he did for us because he what? Loved us. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because he cared for us. He has such an intense love for us. And so John states that he himself knows and believes God's love for him. You know what? We need to pray that we begin to understand God's love for us. You know what I'm saying? That needs to be a prayer. You know, if you're, you're going to pray through the scripture and say, God, help me to comprehend the incomprehensible. What do you mean? Because you're never going to completely understand it. Help me to comprehend how much you love me. What you did for me. Here's what he says. And again, some of you need to grasp this point. Look at verse 16. Look at what he says there. God is love. Here's what I want you to see. By nature, God is perfect love. Some of you need to put a star by that point. Why? Well, have you ever been through some circumstances? Maybe they weren't good circumstances. Maybe it was a tough situation. Maybe you're going through junk in your life, and, and the world's turning upside down. And, and our natural human reaction, and you hear a lot of people say this, is, why are you doing this to me, God? You know what I'm saying? Here's what I want you to grasp. Put a star by this point, because here's what I want you to understand. God, by his very nature, is perfect love. So every expression to you is going to come out of his nature. When he does something for your life, it comes out of that expression of love. Well, it sure doesn't feel like he loved me. I mean, yeah, well, how many times do you remember when, or you as a parent remember this, or or maybe you as a child, when you know your parents said no, or stopped you from doing something that you just wanted to do, you just knew it had to do it, and they said no, they put the big kibosh on it, boom, put drop the hammer, and you just, you're just so mean. Some kids will say that. You don't care about me. But the reality is, is the reason why they did it is because of what? Love. Because they had your best interest in heart. I remember, you know, growing up, I, I thought I lived, my dad was a, a career soldier had been a drill sergeant, and I remember. I mean, I don't, I don't, my my dad was tough. He said, 
boy, you can go out with your buddies, but you need to be home by 11. No later, I want you knocking on my bedroom door, because he stayed up to watch Carson or something. Knocking on my bedroom, and let me know you're home at 11. So I'd be out with my buddies, and I wasn't a Christian then, we wasn't a Christian home, and we'd be partying. But I'd have to say to everybody, well, i got to go. we got to go. Yeah, my, my, dad, my old man says i got to be home. You know, and, and I would go and I'd be home just in time to knock on the door and say I'm home. And he'd say, go to bed. we got to get up in the morning to do work. Yeah, okay, right up. At that point, I thought he was, I thought that was stupid. Because everybody else's parents let them stay out till 3 in the morning, okay? My dad would say, there ain't nothing open after 11 except no good. You know what? He was right. And what he was doing was protecting me. But I was too thick in the head to recognize it then because I was up to no good. Okay? Why did he do that? Love. See, here's the thing. Some of the things you go through that you get angry at God about, you think he doesn't love you, it may be because he loves you. That he allowed that to happen. Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying that that's true for every tragic thing in your life. So let me just stop there. But the reality is, when God acts towards you, you cannot you can't question it. You have to grasp the whole reality that when he acts towards you, by his nature, he is love, perfect love. It's always going to be based upon his love. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't do evil. He doesn't sin. So you and I need to grasp that. So then he goes on. One more point here. Okay, so John says, I understand his love. I believe it. And he is by nature love. So here's what he goes. He's going to to kind of sum it up for us here. Those who love others express their relationship with God. Who's love? He's back to that same point again. He keeps coming around to that same point again. Here's how we know that we have a relationship with him. Because we love each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we care for each other. We're there for each other. This is how we know we have a relationship with him. So listen, if if you see people who are just mean, oh, they maybe know how to answer the Bible questions, and they've been around a long time, but if they're just mean and belligerent and irritable and angry at others, you know, you just like, stay away from that dude. I can already, you got to question where they're at spiritually. Because something hasn't been perfected in their life. What do we know from this passage? God's love hasn't been perfected in their life. So there's something wrong there. So that's what he's talking about here. Okay, next week we'll look at the next section. Anybody got a question real quick?